created a space where we can celebrate the unsung and the undervalued. A place where we focus on the many talents and influences for women within the culture in hopes to inspire women everywhere to overcome adversity in a male-dominated world. Welcome to Women in Hip Hop. What's up, everybody? Jazzy Bell here for Women in Hip Hop Podcast. And on this show, we focus on the many talents and influences from women within the culture. And today is going to be an amazing show because I have an amazing guest. I am here with philanthropist, author, former music executive for labels like Lil Faze, Sony, Columbia. She worked with artists like Prince, Tony Braxton, Outkast, many, many more. And I'm so excited to be speaking with her today. Y'all say hello to Shanti Das. Hi, Shanti. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> I'm so excited to be on your show. Are you? Mm-hmm. I feel so honored to have you on my show. Like, Thank for you. real, for real. Shout out to Daytuan for making this happen. Shout out to Daytuan. That's my big brother, my mentor, yes. and the editor-in-chief of Vibe Magazine. And I'm so thankful for him and, and everything that he does for the culture. Just Absolutely. like I am so thankful for you and everything you did for the culture as well. Thank you, my queen. And we're going to unpack all of that. Okay. Um, because you already know with this show, I love to give a backstory and highlight the women that really contributed to this culture. And so speaking of backstory, let's talk to the people about prior to getting to working with the labels and everything that you do. How did you get your start? So I I got my start um, from Atlanta, Georgia. Mm -hmm. And in high school, one of my sister's friends was a program director at V103 in Atlanta. And he let me come to the station and I was just hanging out. And back then it was before automation. So, girl, you know, we had the music on the carts, (laughs) like the eight tracks. Okay. So I would help him organize the music. Mm. And I would just shadow him sometimes. I was like a junior, I think, or a senior. And then he got me tickets to Anita Baker and Luther Vandross. And I went backstage and I was like, what is going on? I was like, who are the people behind? Because, you know, I saw the artists, but I was like, I want to do what they doing. I want to be the person behind the person. And Mm. so he ended up connecting me to one of his colleagues who was at Capitol Records in Atlanta. And I interned at Capitol in Atlanta for two summers while I was in college at Syracuse University. Mm. And that's how I really got my start in the game. Talk about the importance of internships because I talked to the kids today. I sound like an OG. Hello. <laughs> Talking to the youngest today about the importance of internship because I'm like, yo, that's how I got my start. That's how you got your start. Um, and yeah. a lot of people feel like in order for them to work, a bag has to be attached to it. And it's like, nah, a lot of the times for me in the beginning, for years, it was a lot of free work. Absolutely. And I understand the landscape of culture has changed mm-hmm. and how the younger generation is socialized with yep. the cell phones and their ability to monetize right on Instagram and TikTok. So it, they're looking at it a little bit differently. But mm-hmm. for the music industry, I still think that those same facts hold true that you need to get your foot in the door mm-hmm. right most people need to start either as an intern or with uh, from an administrative perspective and mm-hmm. so I interned for two summers but then ended up getting paid you know along with that right yeah. so you get the bag and the internship and then when I graduated in 1993 yes auntie is 52 years old and I'm proud of it I know that's right but, you look um, amazing thank you. thank you so much this is 53 y'all that's just like nuts <laughs> <laughs> so not how 53 used to look back in the day. 52, 52. Oh, 52. Yep. Okay, no, not add an extra year. <laughs> no, but 93. That's what I'm That's getting right, the yes. for. Talk to me about yep, 93. Absolutely. So when I graduated from Syracuse, I didn't have a job. And so, 
you know, sometimes people um, feel like, well, if I don't get a job, you know, I'm not going to be able to be successful. And you start being all in your head. And Mm -hmm. I was like, the job will come. I just need to do something. So I literally interned for free at Sony Music as a Sony Music retail intern. So I was like, let me learn the retail side of the game. And it's back when we had brick and mortar stores and you'd actually go into Tower Records and places like that to get your music. So I did that for three months. And then... Also, it's key, all you you know, folks in the young generation, is when you network, make sure you stay in touch with people and make sure you don't burn bridges. Ooh. Because the person that hired me at Capital started consulting for LaFace Records. Girl, he hit me and he was like, so I hear L.A. Reed and Babyface are looking for a promotions director and they're staffing up. They were like, would you want to be considered? I was like, "Uh, yeah, are you Absolutely. kidding me? Absolutely. So they got me the interview. I interviewed with Scott Folks, who was the um, general manager at the time at L.A. Reed. And the rest was history. Oh, my God. I always wonder, like, the transition getting into LaFace Records because at that time. But I worked for free until I could figure it out. That part. And like you said, you gained the knowledge. Yeah. And then after a couple of. Making contacts, increasing mm-hmm. my Rolodex. Mm-hmm. They talk about your net work is your your net worth is based on your net work. That part. And so, then you yeah. got the bag eventually. There you go. And now we're here with LaFace. I started making $30,000 in 1993. And you can tell me nothing about my first car, which was a white Mitsubishi Eclipse. Period. And I moved in <laughs> with my friend whose mom had bought her a crib. Mm-hmm. And she had like, they had like two sides. So mm-hmm. I rented one side, had my crib, and got to work. And LaFace Records is like, to me, being from Detroit, the Motown of oh Atlanta. God, we used to say that. And I remember in the beginning kind of jealous because this I was reading it in a magazine. It was before like the Internet and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, being from Detroit, we have Motown and we have Motor City. Like we have the cars. Right. So we pride ourselves yeah. on that, you know. So when I was when I read that, I was like, why are they trying to take that from us? <laughs> so and you weird. know what? It was really us paying homage to you all. Right? Yes. People were like, oh, it's the Motown of the South. Yes. Just in terms of the caliber of talent. And of course, you know, you all were and still will be forever the big dogs okay. from an R&B and pop perspective. <laughs> Not even pop uh, R&B because, you know, a lot of the music from Motown was pop music, mm-hmm. right, with mm-hmm. African-American artists and talent. And so I think L.A. Reid and Babyface were humbled and the people certainly that worked there yeah. that anyone would even remotely compare us to Motown yeah. because Motown was like the holy grail of all the labels. Yeah. And that's why we're here doing what we do. Now, LaFace, Babyface is my favorite singer artist he is so good top tier top tier talk to me about let's, let's run down the list of the LaFace artists that okay. you work with Tony Braxton yep. 1993 so that was the so it's funny so again I got hired in like the spring or summer of 1993 and LA was like Tony's going on tour with Frankie Beverly and Mays yes. and you need to go out there and set up the meet and greets I was like what you mean I get to go on tour with Tony Braxton and so that was exciting so I like flew into most of the cities and helped to set up the meet and greets where she was to meet all the radio programmers and music directors. And so I had to go to the venue, you know, liaison with the production crew, find a venue, get the photographers, get all the, you know, contest winners and meet and greet folks back to meet her. So that was a wonderful experience. Mm. And then I started working a uh, player's ball. I worked closely with our street reps 
across the country. And then Arista Records was our partner label. So Arista had a street team also. So I liaison with them. So I had to get flyers made, postcards, T-shirts, you know, anything for conventions and concerts. And I did every hole in the wall club with Outkast. We toured all around the country. Mm-hmm. So that was exciting. And then that's I was, as a promotional director. Yes. I need for people director. to understand what that all entails. So I'm glad you broke it down. So when y'all see the the posters back in the day that was like on the highways, oh like God. you was in control of that. Like you said, flyers, stickers, all the posters that you saw like on the light poles right Mm -hmm. anything and everything um setting up meet and greets like you said setting up the meet and greets Mm -hmm. um gosh what else getting drops you know from the artists to send out to djs so that they could play the drops taking the 12 inches to the strip clubs because Atlanta was big on strip clubs (laughs) so here I was this you know young chick in the a and I was like just going in there doing my thing if the guys you know needed dance you know we mm-hmm. set all that up and make sure they were playing the music so the girls could dance to our new music yeah. and we broke a lot of records that way and freak nick you know we plastered the streets with mm-hmm. outcasts and goody mom material um i mean i was out there with a and it wasn't a lot of females doing street promotions at that mm-hmm. time you know it was some of us that got to work nationally but it was a small handful of us so you know, we stuck together, but I have a lot of brothers that really looked out for me I love as that. a young girl working in hip hop. Oh, we um, need that. And I had a nickname. So I got a nickname in college because I did college radio and I used to have um, a friend that had a hip hop show. So I helped him produce that show and I did like a little shoestring hip hop tip. So my nickname is Shoestrings. But anybody that knows me from back in the day, they still call me Shoestring. Shoestring. Yep. <laughs> so it worked for me. So I had a little handle and, you know, everybody from Biggie. Craig Mack, all of them. Mm. Shoestring, what up? I love that. Yeah. We're going to talk more about that. And congrats, because um, Tony Braxton's debut album just turned 30. I know. I was so <laughs> excited. To, when she posted, I was like, oh, my gosh, it's been 30 years. And I went back and found an actual photo mm. that I took at one of the meet and greets with she and my late sister. God oh. bless my sister Maria. Yes. Um, but, yeah, so that was really dope. And um, I texted her, and she did get back to me. And I was like, happy anniversary. That was such an honor to work with, you know, work with her on that. And so mm-hmm. I don't see her often, but, you know, the love is there. And, and the, the respect, respect is, is there. Is okay. Absolutely there. I wish I could text Tony Braxton. Um, <laughs> and then I got to work with TLC. Of course. Let's talk about so, TLC. Actually, you worked with um, all my faves. Crazy was, Sexy Cool. Crazy Sexy Cool mm-hmm. was the first um, project that I worked on with them. Because when I got to the label, Ooh, on the TLC tip was already out. And yes. so they were already working that. Okay. Um, and I actually went to high school with Chili. So that's pretty cool. Yep. Okay. So we were um, went to Mays High School. Shout out to Mays High School. But um, I remember L.A. It's funny. I was talking to one of my friends the other day. She's like, I remember when you got the call. We were in your apart- in your um, place and you were like, oh, my God. L.A. just called and said, I got to go on the road. Pack your bags. You hitting the road with TLC. So that was the first actually tour that I had gone on where I got to ride the tour bus. Oh. So it's like, I was like, oh, my God, I'm really on tour, on tour. So I had this big duffel bag and I had to pack, you know, to be gone for a couple months. Yeah. I had the bottom bunk in the back of the bus. (laughs) But I didn't care, girl. You couldn't tell me nothing. I was like, I'm going on a tour. Right. Because I also knew Jermaine Dupree when we were growing up. Right. I met him when I was like in 11th or 12th grade. And, you know, it was a lot of us trying to work in music and we would sneak in the Jack the Rapper. So like that camaraderie was there. Yeah. And Jermaine went on tour crisscross and I was jealous. I was like, you get to go on tour. So when I got to go on tour with TLC, I was like, oh, my God, my dreams are coming true. 
So that was awesome. And I did kind of the similar things I did with Tony Braxton, setting up meet and greets, you know, being there for the girls, making sure they had everything. Um, so that was just exciting. I saw pictures of you. I was like, she looked like she could be the fourth member of TLC. A you few fit. people have said that because mm-hmm. of my height. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I and everything. It was a great look. Now, the late great left eye, that girl is in my top five. Love her. Yes. Shout out to her sister, Raindrop. She was yes. on the show before as well. Yeah. Um, give me a left eye story. Do you have a, a left eye story? Just no one, one of my fondest memories yes. of left eye is, um, well, t- two stories. I'll so, take both. So one <laughs> is, um, the left eye used to, this is a true story. When mm-hmm. we were on tour, we would have to make sure that catering, you know, got the foods, uh, the food to the girls, like before the show or whenever they wanted to eat. Yeah. Lisa will eat two entrees. She literally, or we ordered them food to go from somewhere and she could eat it and still didn't gain weight. I was like, where is all this food going? That girl had an appetite. (laughs) And so that was fun. We ordered crab legs one day and I didn't know what to do. She's like, girl, give me here. Let me show you how to do this. And so she taught me how to crack crab legs (laughs) with my teeth (laughs) to get all the food out. So that was just a fun story. And then there was another video shoot. And Lisa and I were cutting up, and I want to say, you know, we smoked a J on set. Okay, smoking a J. <laughs> that was back in the day when I when I did partake. I don't anymore. It's but, all right. We partied but, a little bit in the early nineties. Me and Lisa were getting lit up there. Really? <laughs> on set, I was like, "Oh Lord, please don't let LA or anybody find out." <laughs> I was young, but we had a ball. Lisa was my girl. Um, oh. We weren't like best friends or anything, but like, again, the love and the respect was there. And once I really got to know her, I was like, she was brilliant. She was smart. She was thoughtful. She was super creative, but just a lot of fun to be around. Like Lisa was a lot of fun to be around. I miss her so much. Yes, I love that. Thanks for sharing those stories. Usher. Oh, my God. You was on tour with all these people. Tour life out here is cray-cray now. You see what's going on with Usher today. Oh, he's killing it. Like, (laughs) he is like I don't know, his he's in like Pluto right now. With but the career. men are like, I don't know if I want you going to a Usher concert. I could imagine what it was oh, like it with was... the young heartthrob back in '94. So I didn't ride a tour bus or anything with mm-hmm. him, but we did a lot of. I worked with Usher very early on in his career, mm-hmm. like when we first signed him. He had that single "Call Me a Mac" that came out, so I was doing promotions, and we would same thing, do a lot of hole in the wall clubs and. Um, Usher came into the the label at a unique time because we did have a lot of priorities. You know, we had Outkast, we had Tony Braxton, we had TLC, we had all these projects running. And, you know, there were times where we were trying to figure out, you know, what was his priority, which direction were we going to go in? Mm. And I remember L.A. Um, decided to send him to New York to live with Puff for six months. And he was very young and we sent him up there and I started doing a lot of promotions in New York with him. And so... I think he really started figuring out who he was as an artist Mm. and and he got a little flavor. He was always flavorful and always so talented, Mm. but he started to mature a little bit. And um, I remember putting him with DJ Mars and and DJ Doobop and started doing some mixtapes and stuff around him. So it was it was an honor to be present and to watch him really. kind of hone in on who he wanted to be but the one thing I'll say about Usher from day one when we signed him mm-hmm. super super like um how do I want to say it he always knew what he wanted mm. like some artists you know you gotta like give them this and give them some direction like mm-hmm. 
he was one of the hardest workers and he always thought big. That was nice. the one thing because he would look at like the postcards I was putting together or promo ideas and he was very involved and he would give feedback and tell you what he wanted or no, let's do it this way or no, it's got to be bigger. It's, he would always say, it's got to be bigger. It's got to be bigger. Mm. And so, and those words ring true now. Mm. Like even looking at the Vegas show, it's got to be bigger. It's huge now. Wow. And he's always had that vision of being bigger and being better and and doing it his way. Mm-hmm. That's why he, you know, came out with my way. And he had the the you um, charm. You know, I remember when he first said, OK, I want this to be my logo that you I was like, OK, this kid knows exactly what he wants. That's so just shout out to Usher. I just have so much love and respect for him and his crew and his camp and what he's been able to do. And just he never went away, but he's now just really come into his own absolutely and it's just so comfortable with where he's at and mm-hmm. that vegas residency is one of the best shows i've ever seen not uh. just from usher period i really think he's changing the landscape of how artists do residencies in vegas and everybody's going to see it and if you haven't seen it you need to go see it go check it out yes i'm dying to go it's yeah you will not be disappointed and he's even doing paris Mm. I'm like, do I need to like figure out some Paris flights? Absolutely. <laughs> to see my little brother do his thing. But yeah, he's killing it. Speaking of little brother. So it's funny when you mention him being shipped off to um, New York. So you were you accompanied him to go into New oh, York? Oh, I didn't. No, no, oh, no. Okay. But I, I would go up to New York for shows oh, right, and different right, right. things. So I was there while he was there or like Puff would come to Atlanta and we would set up promotional dates for him. Because he talked so, about yeah, that. I was around them, but I didn't go and see oh, them. Yeah, I, was, yeah, no. No, I was about no, to dig a little a, deep. I was going to be no. like, girl, did you see some of the crazy things that Girl, Diddy, because he talked say, about it in an interview. He said, I, I didn't yeah, Diddy uh, show, <laughs> he had a different type of lifestyle. I heard. I missed all of that. <laughs> okay. I guess the Lord spared me from all that. <laughs> Oh, I love that. Shout out to Usher, TLC. Yeah. Um, and we talked about uh, Tony Braxton as well. Now, mm-hmm. we had to talk about Outcast. I want to elaborate more on that because yes. that's when I really, I got wind of you. I saw you for the first time. Mm-hmm. The iconic 1995 <sighs> Source Awards. I believe it was the second annual yeah. Source Awards where Dre uttered those amazing words. The South got something to say. Mm-hmm. And I remember them panning to them being a winner. And my dear, you, Shanti, was right <laughs> next to them in the mix, looking shocked. <laughs> Talk to me. Take me there. Take oh me there. Gosh. How was that moment? First of all, I told you the first record I ever worked from them was Players Ball. Uh-huh. So I literally was there day one when it was on the Christmas album. Wow. So fast forward, we released Southern Playlistic, you know, then um, ATLNs. And just to be with them that night, mm-hmm. I guess I didn't realize that that would be such an, a historic moment. Yes. For not only Southern hip hop, but just for the culture. Absolutely. And that picture has been probably shared and floated around on social media like a gazillion times. And yeah. I still pinch myself and go, oh, my gosh, I was right there with them. Right there. So it was interesting that night being um, in the venue. It was a lot of like East Coast, West Coast tension mm-hmm. and a lot of, you know, just kind of a weird vibe going on. Weird. That's an understatement. <laughs> yeah, I'm being nice. It, 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 was, it was crazy in there that night. And right. so when, you know, Salt and Pepper got up to announce the award, it's interesting because when I first heard them booing us, I was like, oh, my God, why are we getting booed? But now I realize it's because a New York artist probably didn't win because we were in New York. And mm-hmm. that's how, like, 
you know, sometimes New York hip hop, you know, they wanted to make sure that their artists, you know, they still that way. And so (laughs) I was like, okay, it ain't where you're from, it's where you at. So they, you know, kind of mad at us, I guess, because we won. But but to give it further context, that was for best new artists. Yes, it was Source Awards. Other nominations or other nominees in that was Smith and Wesson. And I don't even remember all the nominees. Um, Bone Thugs and Harmony. Mm, it was tight. It was. A I, I looked. I was like jam packed. Oh. with a lot of other credible hip hop artists. Outcast, of course. And God, I'm missing another one. I think it was Ill and Static. Oh, God. But when I watch it back, I was like, wait, Bone Thugs was nominated. Bone Thugs. And Outcast is my favorite hip hop. Oh group. yeah. Bone Thugs is in the in But they were winning well. at that time. That's what I'm saying. So yeah. I'm like, hold on. That was a pretty close race. And yeah, that was a and Smith and Wesson was doing their thing. They yeah. had records with Mary J. Blige yeah. and their own success mm-hmm. and, and all that. And it was like, oh, okay. I wonder. I see. And like you said, at that time, it was primarily the East Coast and yeah. the West Coast. Yeah. You know, with Death Row and And, and all the beef that was going on at the uh, time. Yeah. Gosh. So, yes. So, when they said... So, when they outcast. said... Outcast. First of all, we were like, oh, my gosh. We really won. And so, the guys, you know, jumped up, obviously went on stage. Goody Mob was there, but they weren't sitting right near us. But they all ended up going on stage and yes. the DF crew. And it was just, you know, it was such a moment of validation, I think, for all the the sweat equity that had mm-hmm. been put into promoting them and really trying to carve out a niche for themselves. Because that's the one thing about growing up in Atlanta. We always gave love to East Coast and West Coast. We rocked, you know, Dodgers hats. We rocked the mm-hmm. Yankees hats, you know, those fitted hats. So growing up, it was mm-hmm. it was hip hop. Mm-hmm. But finally, we had somebody rocking stuff from the A or you heard about things we did in the culture in Atlanta and we were like, okay, people are finally giving us our just due. And mm. so Dre was like, the South got something to say. And it's hadn't been the same since. You know, it was definitely a defining moment. Um, he looked nervous. I don't know that he was nervous. Um, voice was cracking. It cracked a little bit. <laughs> I was like, is he going to cry? What happened what? in that audience? Did somebody say something to y'all? You know what? I think it was like one of the moments like, we really did this. Like, so let me get up here and, you know, make sure that I'm saying what I need to say and so getting booed to it. and not knowing what that even like, why yeah. and I'm sure that had to like play be a, a little and play a part mm-hmm. you know in the voice cracking maybe a little bit <laughs> but he what he said went down in history absolutely and people talk about every si- single time I do an interview they're like you were there that night and Dre uttered those infamous words I mean it goes down in hip hop history we're celebrating hip hop 50 right and yes. so that is a big moment in hip hop fifty. And you were there. And I was right there. So amazing. Kudos to the I'm just today. grateful for the journey. Yes. For Atlanta. Yes. For Outcast, for the Face Records, um, for Southern Hip Hop, which now, you know, so much music still comes out of Atlanta. And mm-hmm. it's not Southern Hip Hop, it's just hip hop. So I've got something and so to say. Nice, and we've been it's listening. Nice to know, you know, we say like there's three coasts. There's East Coast, West Coast, and South Coast now. Yep. And that was kind of born out of that. You know, that's why you have the A3C Festival, all three coasts. Mm-hmm. And Outcast, I think, played, played a huge part in that. And hip hop has been listening ever since. Ever since. When he said, I got a demo, don't nobody want to hear it. <laughs> but then I'm thinking, you guys are an artist like, that's signed to a label. So I guess. And you can, I guess, attest to what he was trying to say. Was it difficult 
being respected or them having this type of recognition and love because they was from the South? It was hard just breaking them, period. Really? Like, so what so it was we would like? do promo shows. You know, of course... So in hip hop, you know, we looked at the country and regions, right? Yeah. Southern regions, mid-Atlantic, East Coast, West Coast, Southwest region with Houston and Dallas and Mm -hmm. New Orleans. So, of course, we did great in the Carolinas. We did good in Florida, Georgia, those places like that. But once we started getting up into like the mid-Atlantic, D.C. took a minute New York was tough, you know, just mm. having a really, and you've worked with iconic New York DJs, you know, some of them. Shout out to DJ K-Slay. Yeah. Shout out to K-Slay, shout out to Big Cap, who oh, Big, Big Cap was one of the DJ. first people who had a, um, I want to say Cap had a weekend show on Hot 97. Mm, He's so. one of the first people to play Outcast on mm. his weekend show in rotation because we couldn't get the regular rotation. Um, Sway and Tech, you know, who were on, you know, the Wake Up Show um, on KMEL. Now he has Sway in the Morning. Yes. They were one of the first people to show love to Outkast. So it took time. Greg Street, who's in Atlanta, but was at KKDA in Dallas back then. So we were very methodical Mm -hmm. about how we, you know, position the artists, who we tried to get to support them and how we broke it down by region. And it took a long time. And so I I get it why, you know, Dre felt like, you know, we got this demo tape and don't nobody want to play it because so many people didn't want to play the music because they called us country. Who called y'all country? DJs, different who? people. Who said, who told Outkast to get I the fuck out of here? I specific names, but I, I want to know that. <laughs> I can tell you just even the promotion days, like when I was doing it, they would be like, ah, oh, that's too country for, for wow. up here. We, we listen to this country shit. <laughs> and, you know, we were like, well, okay, whatever. Yeah. But it did not deter us because we still thought it was fire. We knew the music mm. was good. We knew it had so many sensibilities of you know, um, blues and jazz and hip hop and you still had your 808 beats. It was just like like this new explosion mm. of music and funk and we weren't going to stop, you know, mm. until we got the world to really believe what we felt. Now I understand the frustration. Now I understand the cracking of the voice. Now I understand why I, in my way out how I see it. I felt like he was teary-eyed because of the groundwork and the legwork that you guys oh, really put yeah. in and to so be much heard. That people didn't know and didn't see. You know, again, exactly. we did every club run, every yeah. radio run, every hole in the wall. And it was like, when are we gonna get our just due? You know, yeah. we just want a little bit of piece of the pie. Like we want a little respect. Yeah. And that was the night that we got our national respect. Mm. And even global in some ways, right? The world yeah. was looking at at the Source Awards. Yes. I mean, people are making documentaries about that now. Yeah. And that's a huge part of that moment. Y'all did yeah. that. Yeah. The A did that. The A did that. Atlanta Braves, I want to say, won that year. Was it 95? 1995, the Atlanta Braves won the World Series. And then the next year, 1996, we got the uh, Olympics in Atlanta. See? So it was a pivotal moment in time. That was just an important part in Atlanta history and culture and just pushing the culture forward. Mm-hmm. Um, it was nice to be a part of all of that. Atlanta, uh, LaFace even did a an Olympic album with mm. different artists, you know, that were either on LaFace or like, I remember KG, Casey and JoJo had a song on it. So like, yeah, we did a lot of touring and promotion around that. And then of course, next up we had the Goody Mob. Mm. That's in my top five favorite so groups as well. 
Soul Food Number Four. That's what a T.I. Oh my line. gosh. I love Soul Food. I love that album. When Goody Mob came on and came out, I was like, what is this? And Little I went Grace to high voice. school with some of them. You know, shout out to Cujo mm-hmm. and Timo Goody and Big Gip and CeeLo. And CeeLo was a singing something, yes. child. I oh tell my you. God. It was he like brought, he hip-hop brought, gospel. Yes. He Ugh. brought so much soul Ugh. right to it. And uh, they were so ahead of their, their time. I think, you know, mm-hmm. with what we're facing in our nation right now in terms of... Um, cultural challenges and things that we face um, in terms of systemic racism, right, Mm -hmm. that is still there, what we face as a community from police brutality and all these different things. They were addressing a lot of that. Absolutely. Right in the mid-90s. And so we we had a lot of success with Goody Mob, but I do feel like at times, sometimes people thought they were a little too political and needed to make more fun music. And I remember they made mm-hmm. one song, um, Sky High, which I love, which was a little bit more melodic. But mm-hmm. I'm like, don't water them down. Let them brothers be who they are. Yes. Let them preach the good word. And, and and they still have great songs that you can dance to and rock out to. But they were definitely ahead of their their time. And they reminded me a lot of like a, almost like a Southern public enemy. Right. Yes. Great point. Bringing so much. You need to much, get up, um, get out and a, get some. Absolutely. Yeah. Spend all your time trying to get high. And to me, that song, you know, still, it, and that was actually um, on the Outkast album. Yes, uh, yes, but it yes. it featured, you know, yes. uh, mm-hmm. members of the Goody Mob. But to me, a song like that in 2023 still resonates and mm-hmm. still to me, could be a song of influence and something that our younger generation could look up to and learn from. Yes. So love and and much respect, mad respect to the Goody Mob. Yes, absolutely. Now, after leaving LaFace, mm-hmm. um, why did you leave LaFace? Because you ended up at Arista. Well, they sold York. the company. Oh, damn, In 2000, okay. L.A. Reading Babyface, they struck a deal and sold the company back to BMG. And so we all kind of had to figure out what was next. Wow. So L.A. went to came to New York and he replaced Clive Davis as the president of Arista Records. And so I had just bought a crib to in Atlanta. I was like, mm. are you kidding me? <laughs> we, mm-hmm. well, we got, so we had to figure it out. And there weren't a lot of other larger record companies. You know, you had So So Deaf Records. You had Rowdy Records. Shout out to Dallas Austin yep. and Jermaine Dupree. But LaFace was kind of like, you know, the only big label, right, in town. And so I knew I had to either go to New York or L.A. to kind of figure out what was next. And so I ended up taking some other interviews and then decided to go ahead and and go with L.A. over to Arista. And I became senior director of marketing over there. But I was there only there for probably like a year and a half. Yo, what's going on, Hope? All is well. I'm Duke. I'm Omar. I'm Jalan. And this is Nice and Neat, the podcast. We're three quintessential friends dedicated to the 360-degree development of men. Our goal is to not only share our experiences, but offer as much value as we possibly can through the lessons we've learned along the way. When I say we talk about everything, we talk about everything. Character, discipline, career development. Oh, and let me not forget, we get real personal. Now make sure you subscribe so you never miss any of our episodes. Write a review. Let us know what you think. Enjoy. I marketed okay. Outcast Stankonia album. Stankonia. I, I was, um, for a brief period, I was the liaison with Bad Boy. So I worked a little bit um, with Bad Boy's team and helped out with 112 and some of the stuff Puff was doing. Mm-hmm. And then I worked briefly with Run DMC. Uh, the album didn't end up coming out, but I was their product manager for a hot second. So that was an honor. Okay. And Jam Master Jay was kind of like a mentor to me even oh, before nice. that. So I really missed Miss J, uh, rest in peace to Jam Master J. I love that because I do remember again, just with that Source Award. Do you remember them panning to him? 
they pan to Jim Master J when y'all. Yes. Oh, wow. It's just a full circle moment yeah, for you that you was, probably don't even know. He was such a good guy. I love that. Um, real inspiration and always gave me good advice as a woman in hip hop. So I appreciate that. That's an interesting thing, too. We're on uh, the show. Your show is called Women in Hip Hop. I had a lot of male mentors mm. in the hip hop game um, and that I appreciated the fact that a lot of guys took me under their wing and they wouldn't let they it was almost like they were protecting me love that um, so love that and i had some of course some some wonderful uh female peers in okay. the industry that showed me a lot of respect but a lot of my mentors for whatever reasons i think because i worked in hip-hop and i worked and i did street promotions mm -hmm. and i was around guys so much mm -hmm. that a lot of them just kind of became my big brothers yes and they looked out for me yes um, so i'm grateful and I love that because obviously, you know, I've had women on this show that didn't feel that way, that didn't feel protected. And 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 that's fair, mm -hmm. right? And and um everybody has a different journey. Absolutely. Um, and that's what the show is about. And that's I, what I the just show want you to be about. Yep. And so for me, um you know, growing up as a woman working in entertainment, you know, for whatever reasons, like I was a, a B girl and kind of a hip hop sneakerhead. Mm -hmm. So I wore sneakers a lot. Mm -hmm. Um I wore baggy clothes a lot because I did street promotions. I was like, I don't need guys trying to hit on me every five minutes. Yeah. I was just trying to water down my femininity, but I must, I mean, look at me now. Here I am at 52, still rocking hats and sneakers. Yeah. So I this is indicative to, to who you are. This is really who I was. Yeah. I was the same way as Syracuse. I rocked a lot of sneakers. I worked in radio. So I didn't try to like create some facade of a person that I wasn't. You okay. might see me in a midriff and cute little pants, mm -hmm. but then you might see me in baggy clothes. But when I was out working, I tried to, you know, just kind of divert the attention a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if I felt like putting on a dress one night, going to a party, I would be who I am. But then when I'm backstage and in the club, I'm like, let me just, you know, put on my baggy clothes so they can be like, what you got under there, little girl? I'm like, that ain't for you to know. And then, you know, just kind of play it off. Yes. But it just helped me to navigate some of the craziness. Because it was and, and, you know, that was before the Me Too movement, you yeah. know, before all of that occurred. And so I had my moments where I had to, you know, get some people told. Mm. Um, but the thing about it is I stood up for myself. Here I am, this little five, one young lady. But yeah. And, and there were moments of, you know, where you might feel uncomfortable. But I, I just felt like for me. I had to nip things in the bud as soon as they happened mm. and let people know, like, I love this industry, but I'm not here for that. Yeah. You know, I am not going to sleep with you to get a song played. I'm not going to sleep with you to get a promotion. And I'm not judging anybody. I feel like people are put in circumstances and things happen. Yeah. And that's that's their journey and that's their story. Right. My story and my journey was <clears throat> if somebody, you know, got crazy with me or tried to disrespect me, <clears throat> excuse me, in a sexual manner. I was like, whatever. I, you know, I got a little thugged out. <laughs> you know, you I, got with him. I mean, I remember this one. Come on, five two. What you do? This is a funny story. Okay, talk to me. <laughs> Shout out to my dear friend John Platt, who is the chairman yes. over at Sony Music Publishing. This is when he was come. We all kind of came up in the industry together. Mm -hmm. We were in LA, and I think I was out there working with Outkast, and there was an Ice Cube concert at this club called Roxbury, okay. which was one of the famous clubs where everybody went to back in the 90s. And then 92.3 to Beat was like the main radio station in LA. Every artist wanted to either, you know, get on their show or do, um, I know my legs, I get comfortable. And now you can. <laughs> um, wanted to go and get their music played on 92.3 to Beat or whatever. So anyway, so we all roll out, go to this Ice Cube show. Yeah. It's packed. And I'll tell you, I'm little. So we were up front, I was standing at the stage 
And all of a sudden, I turned around. I felt something on my behind. I was like, <gasps> somebody just scooped me. You know how they say back in the day, as um as a high not even high school, elementary school, you get scooped. And so I turned around. I ain't see nobody. Guy act like he ain't do it. And then I turned back around and it happened a second time. Whoa. And I said, okay, now, okay, you Stop doing too much. With me. Like, right. <laughs> Girl, he did it a third time. And at that time, it was like a real, real school. I turned around and bowled him dead in his chest, only to find out he was in one of the worst gangs <gasps> in all of LA. My homeboy leaped from across the room and was like, do you know who you just hit? And they literally picked me up. Somebody grabbed my feet. Somebody grabbed the middle of my body and somebody grabbed my head and literally walked me out and ran out the club and the whole club got into a fight. (gasps) It was the, I don't even want to say the name of the gang because I don't know if they still exist, but it was one of the biggest gangs out there and it was two of them in there and they all like tore the club up after that. Because it was a scooping of the ass. I think I started. I trickled. Right. Yeah, but but I didn't know what I was doing. I was just protecting myself. You were protecting yourself. You I even wrote about show. this in my book, The Hip Hop Professional. But yes. I just, you know, again, I just had to like hold my own. So I ain't go run into no, and we didn't really have HR to run to. Stuff like That's that so happened. Sad. You know, there so were sad. no, not a lot of like. ERG programs mm-hmm. or DEI representatives within mm-hmm. the companies that stuff didn't exist. So mm-hmm. in the 90s, I had to protect myself. And I did that. So did a fight happen because somebody was taking up for you? I think so. I think so. And he was trying I guess to get you the thought of him trying to attack Whatever, you. But is... this guy was he he was really about he was about to draw and hit me <gasps> because I punched him in his chest and he was to about know. to punch me and my friend caught him. And that's so and that's when it all happened after that. I was like, oh my gosh, what have I done? But you said, oh my gosh. First of all, the fact that it sounds like not like you're blaming yourself, but that the fight would be blamed on you when at the end of the day he was out of pocket. Yeah, of course he was out of line. And and the response he was grab my He shouldn't have grabbed you. Anyway, in the first three times. Exactly. So he got what he deserved. Unfortunately, it a big brawl, you know what I'm saying, came out of it. Yeah. But it started with him. He was the problem. But it's that's just, just funny it, though, listening as to women, this story. Those are the kind of things, though, that you know you yeah. had to deal with. And, I'm sure. and the response was, "Do you know who you hit? Not motherfucker. Don't you put your hands on no, her? No, they, you know, no, they did. They were supporting me too. But yeah. He, he was saying that, like, oh my god, I got to get you out of here. Right, kind of thing. right, right, yeah. right. Because they right. knew, <laughs> and they carried you out. And thank God, yeah, that to you... support me. Yes. Okay. So oh. anyway, so but you know, so I dealt with stuff. Um, yeah. And I just I took it in my own hands each time and okay. just dealt with it. Oh, thank so, you yeah. for sharing that story. Yeah. I mean, I've had you know guys that I've worked with in the past, you know, mm-hmm. that were senior. And, you know, would try to holler. And then if I didn't want to try to get me fired, stuff like that. And it's just, yeah. I would just let my work speak for itself. I couldn't get watered down with a lot of the drama yeah. because it's just too much. It's too consuming. Mm-hmm. So just I just say women working out there in music, hip hop, anything, just, you know, stand up for yourself. Yes. But sometimes you can. Sometimes, you know, it's tough as women and you get boxed in. And so, you know, just shout out to the women that's ever been through anything and you get through it you know, gracefully, however you can. And shout out to the men that's taken up for us. Absolutely. Like you said, in that moment, being and, taken and, up and for And I it. think sexual harassment goes both ways. We've learned that, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's it's happened. I've never experienced it the other way around. But anybody that's dealing with that, just 
don't be afraid to stand up for yourself. Yeah. That's all I got to say. Don't, don't abuse your power. And yeah. women have done that as well. You, and, and the men, like you said, it does go both ways. And it happens in corporate America. It's not just hip hop. You know, it happens everywhere. That too. Absolutely. I just want, when we do have those discussions, include hip hop because it is so still male dominated. Yeah. So we still need more protecting. We need Me Too movement. We didn't feel in the hip hop community that we was a part of that. Black women all across Black, the world period didn't right. feel like they were that's right involved or and so when you speak of hip-hop it, i really and that's why i'm saying especially women in hip-hop you mm-hmm. gotta we have to empower one another Absolutely. have to stand up for one another we have to protect one another when you say the men you had a lot of men mentors did was there enough women in the industry at that time that you felt like you could have attached to or did you just feel because you know how they what they say about us, and I hate to perpetuate that yeah. narrative, you know? But with the whole cattiness and women, did you not feel, I don't know, supported by other women? I think for some women? of the women that were in positions of power, I just didn't know them like that. Okay. So it wasn't that they were, like, not supporting me. Okay, um, Like a Sylvia Rohn, you know, who was big in hip-hop at the time, or mm-hmm. Mona Scott, who was big. I just didn't know them okay. at the time. And my, our paths didn't really cross. Got it. So a lot of the people I came in contact with were men and so yes. it was just kind of natural um, but like I but I had sister friends like a Tambisa Mshaka I don't know if you know Tambisa but Tambisa used to be the rap editor at Gavin magazine in the early 90s mm-hmm. and she was responsible for a lot of showcases for all of our artists and mm-hmm. I mean all artists in hip-hop if y'all don't know who she is google her she's a wonderful book out that she wrote um empowering women and so I Check had people out. like that. Um, Thais Harris, shout out to Thais, who used to be head of promotions. I forget which label she was at, but she did rap promotions as well. Love so that. I had some sister friends that we looked out for one uh, another. I just beautiful. didn't know as many women of power in hip hop uh-huh. that I had relationships until I had been in the business for a while. Okay. But when I was younger, I just didn't know them. Yeah. So, yeah. And, I, you know, and I think the cattiness exists everywhere. Mm. And I had to deal with that a little bit, but not a lot. Good. And for me, same old thing, killing with kindness. Mm-hmm. I'm from the South. I, I don't have the time. My name means peace and I really don't like drama. Shati. So it I means just, peace. I just kind of swept it under the rug and was mm. like, you know, it'll come back around. And that's yeah. on your conscience, not mine. That part. That says so, more about you than it does me. So let period. me just keep on keep moving <laughs> and keep on working. Speaking of keeping moving, keep on working. Now, it was short-lived for you working at Arista. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I saw in an interview you talk about how that was a toxic environment for you. Mm-hmm. And you ended up quitting. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about um, um, Silence the Shame. Yep. Um, <sighs> If you could talk to me about, because, again, I, I saw in the interviews where you talked about being, dealing with mental illness. Mm-hmm. And I can walk you through kind of what you that go. was like. Thank yeah, you. So, so that was that was right after I had moved up to New York. It was like 2001. Yeah. And, you know, it's difficult sometimes when you're going into a new regime. It's not your people. You know, and it wasn't L.A. because I didn't see L.A. as much because, you know, he was working at a new company. It wasn't his company anymore. He had a boss. I wasn't trying to run to him every five minutes and complain because I wanted him to have his space to grow and do what he needed to do. So some of the people that I was working with, again, it was all of their crew and their regime and they were used to working with each other. So Mm. we were the new kids on the block. So you always going to kind of get, you know the backseat treatment every now and then. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot of yelling. And my one boss was very condescending. And Mm. I just couldn't take it anymore. I was like, this is not me. This is not who I am. 
And I hadn't been stressed out like that in the workplace. And I think it was that first time that I ever dealt with that level of stress in the workplace. And so I remember saying to my boyfriend one night, I was like, you know, this is crazy. I, I'm tired of this. I can't handle it. Like my face was breaking out. Oh, I was like, stress. this is not who I am. Stress. It was all stress. Yeah. I was like, maybe I should just kill myself. <gasps> yeah. I didn't really mean it. Okay. But those words just kind of came out. He was like, what you talking about? Don't say that. But see, my father died by suicide when I right. was just five months old. And I think it was a lot of unresolved trauma that was starting to rear its head too from mm -hmm. my childhood and so and that's real I used to think like oh how can childhood trauma bother you when you're older only until I exper experienced it mm -hmm. right and this was way before silence to shame so I had no knowledge right around yeah. mental health and wellness and so mm -hmm. I talked to my sister and she was like you just you you can quit it's okay she was like I know you sold your house I know you she's like but you're smart you can get a job whatever so I thought about it and I ended up quitting. Um, I wasn't proud of the fact that I quit because mm -hmm. I felt like I let LA down and some of my, I left, I was leaving Outkast and other artists, but I just went back home for five months and kind of slept on my friend's couch. And then Jermaine Dupree hit me one day. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, you, you just, you out, you done after all them years, you mm -hmm. just gonna throw it away. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't know, I don't want to, da, 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 da. I don't know if I want to go back. And he was like, come on, like, you can't just, throw it all away this is what you dreamed about so he was like come work over you know at sony with the social deaf with some of my projects we could use some help and so i was like for real love that and so i thought about it for a few days so he got me in it, but i didn't want anybody giving me anything so i was like well who do i need to talk to at the parent company right okay. so he got me an interview with donnie einer who's a chairman of columbia records at the time he okay. went straight to the top I know that's right, Jermaine. They flew me up and <laughs> nice. Donnie interviewed me. I got hired on the spot as vice president. And that was the other thing. I felt like I was getting overlooked at Arista for my VP slot. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what do I have to prove? I don't broke all these artists. And then went now. from promotions to marketing at LaFace. Like, Resume heavy. Why? <laughs> I feel like I had receipts. Right. I had it receipts. And so why, why y'all like, you know, <laughs> dilly dallying on my VP title, you know, uh, and my salary. So right. long story short, Donnie gave me more money. He gave me my VP title. Six months in, I became head of the urban marketing department mm. uh, over at Columbia. And so, you know, God was good. And then a couple years later, they signed Prince. I got to do the marketing on the musicology album. Come on, Prince. Once in a lifetime opportunity. It was just amazing. Um, and so that was great. I ended up leaving Columbia in, I think, 05 and went over to work for Sylvia Rohn. I mean, I used to want to be Sylvia Rohn when I was growing yes. up. So That's that was a great you. opportunity. And I did that for about four and a half years. Got to work a little bit with Ashanti, Erica Badu, Busta Rhymes while I was there. So shout out to all of them. I'm so proud of them. And Ashanti's just killing it um, just to see, again, Artists like Usher and Ashanti, they're just like in their, you know, second act of just being incredible. Second act. And I love Busta, that. Busta, like all of his accolades, he just got so deserving Lifetime yes. Achievement Award and he's still at the top of his game. And, you know, I'm just proud of all that. Erica's touring and doing great. And so wonderful opportunity for me over there. But I just wasn't being fulfilled in the industry anymore. Mm. And um, you put yourself first. That's the other thing, too. We didn't talk about self-care mm -mm. back then. I Absolutely probably not. worked 
as a woman in hip hop or just in the music industry, I probably worked some days, 18, 20 hour days mm. on and off planes. I remember running into a guy who was my driver mm-hmm. maybe a year ago. I was in New York and he used to drive me when I was lived in New York. And he said, you know, I used to wonder, I used to tell myself, I don't know how she does it. He said, I would drop you off at your home in Jersey at one o'clock. And one of my other guys would be heading to your house at like four or five in the morning. Like I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating. I was just working, 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 working. And it was, it was taking its toll on me. Mm. And so in 2009, I was making a half a million dollars a year almost. Mm. Corner office. Still loving it, but just not being fulfilled, not taking care of myself. I remember going uptown in Harlem one day to a meeting and my whole right side went numb. And I had all these tests and MRIs ran and it was, I was diagnosed with cervical spinal stenosis, which is a direct result of stress. Once again, stress rearing its head. And I thought I had to have spinal surgery and all of this. And so I told Celia I needed to take a leave of absence. And then again, after consulting with my sister, who was really my confidant and best Mm -hmm. friend, she was like, I think it's time. You've been in New York 10 years. Your health isn't great. Mm. You Clearly your mental health is not good either. You just bring it on home. So I prayed about it and it was not an easy decision. I felt like I was walking away from my life, my whole career, all I had known because I'm not married. I don't have kids. I was married to my career. Right. And I came home and um, ended up doing some consulting for some artists and started a live music event, ATL Live on the Park which I had also started with some friends, R&B Live in New York. I read that. Which is one of the hottest showcases in New York I, at one time. I went we to a few. We had everybody from Jan- Janelle Monae yes. on down. It was popping. Everybody, Jay, Denzel, everybody used to be up in that piece. What's the club called? Spotlight. Spotlight Live. I knew it, yes. yes. That was my event. When I read that, I was like, that was her event, yes. y'all. That was during my heyday when I first yes. moved to New York. I used to go to that club. It was hot. That event was hard to get into. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say I made it to two <laughs> parties. <laughs> it was like some of my friends, we have stories about, oh, my God, we that night. good times. Yes. Iconic Thank you for there. that. Thank you. It was part of my nightlife. Thank I didn't you. even know. Yeah. yeah. The young Jazzy Bell days. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I started a similar event, ATL mm-hmm. Live on the Park. Mm-hmm. We focused more on R&B music, and it ran for 10 years. But so from about 2010 to 2014, there was pretty good. I was consulting and still trying to figure it out and just yeah. trying to focus more on me and right. resting and getting healthy. Right. But then my best friend took her own life in 2014, oh. the day, not even the day, probably within 24 hours after I talked to her, within that time period. It was awful. And... I, I was secretly going down in a spiral. I wasn't really revealing to my family what was going on and my friends, but it was bad. Um, There were times I didn't want to get out of bed and didn't want to be around people and started withdrawing a little bit. And so in September of 2015, I came close to taking a lot of pills Mm. and I was, I was prepared to end it. I didn't want to die. I just wanted the pain to go away. Um, I got the help that I needed. Talk and, about what that looks like, getting the help um, that you needed for people out there that struggle. Yeah, absolutely. That. So that night was tough. And I, you know, I tell people, don't be afraid to reach out to someone. I got out of the house and started driving because I was afraid that had I stayed in the house, it would have been a different outcome. Right. And ended up running into a friend. And that was all God, divine intervention. 
Because I'm like, what you doing on this side of town? You don't even live over here. But she knew something was wrong. And so she had me call my sister. My sister convinced me to call the suicide lifeline, which now you can just dial 988, which is great. Okay. And be connected to a crisis counselor. 988. 988. Mm-hmm. Formerly the suicide lifeline, which it may still be. I think it's you can still dial it uh, 1-800-273-TALK. But 988 is a lot easier and it's the same company and system. And then I also texted my pastor. Okay. You know, wow, come on. I go to Ebenezer Baptist Church. Shout out to Ebenezer. And my pastor had seen me coming to church, going down for prayer call, crying. He knew something was going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just couldn't shake it. And he was like, it is time to get help. You mm. must go to the doctor. So he and my sister were saying the same thing. So I saw a psych. I, I called my primary health care physician who connected me to a psychiatrist, a black female psychiatrist. And she got me on antidepressants. Okay. And they helped a lot. And then I started openly sharing about my experience. And I'm like, you know, I'm actually not embarrassed about what I went through. At one point, were you? Of course, I was nervous to talk about it at first. But then I was like, you know, I just got to get this off my chest. And Mm. I started talking about it on social media. My sister was like, you sure you want me doing this? And this was before the pandemic. So before a lot of people were talking about this was 2015. Nobody's really talking about it then. No, not to talk around therapy or mental health. So I just mentioned it on a radio interview with Ryan Cameron. um, And I was like, yeah, we just need to silence the shame. And then God was like, here you go. And then the marketing, you know, mine was like, you need to run with that. Yeah. So I started a hashtag and then a couple months later, got some ladies to start volunteering and then um, got a few of my friends to do a PSA. And I was like, I'm going to start this foundation or nonprofit or whatever we figure it out, figure out it can be. It's, a, it's actually a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Now we got our 501c3 and. Now we've grown and we talk to artists and influencers and everyday people and we've worked with the NFL, the NBA and mm-hmm. Jack and Jill of America, mm-hmm. the music industry, just all different type of folks and organizations around mental health and wellness. And I'm just honored that I can be it's all full circle. So I'm like back in entertainment in a different way. I'm oh. feeding the culture. In a different way. And I just feel like I couldn't have done this. God prepared me for this work right Mm -hmm. around wellness in general. And now I have my new podcast, which I know we'll get to. But Mm -hmm. it's all just such a special moment that, you know, I mean, I literally started over. You know, I could have tried to go back and work in music, but... And I'm real spiritual and, and, you know, the Holy Spirit was just like, that ain't where you're supposed to be. You did that mm-hmm. and you did it well and you had a great run in it. Great. And that legacy will not die. But now you got to, this is your new mission. The continuation and, and of continuation. your legacy. Yeah, exactly. And so here I am. Hearing you say full circle moment because you shared earlier that your father committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And I we, should say completed. I'm com- sorry. Completed, I said okay. that the first time, but I try now to say completed. And, and I'll people explain try. why, because yes. committed sometimes is denoted as a criminal act. Oh. And so we don't want suicide to be criminalized. Mm. So now we say either die by suicide or completed. Completed. I respect little, that. Yeah. So your father completed suicide mm-hmm. and you were only five months old. Seven months. Seven months. Mm-hmm. And now the work that you're doing mm-hmm. today helps shed light on that yeah and you had your own experience where you wanted mm-hmm. to um complete thank yeah. god you did not thank you and having you say your best friend mm-hmm. co- um completed mm-hmm. when it came to um suicide 
being suicidal. Yeah. I, it's just amazing to have you here doing this work Mm. and shedding light on that. And because like you said, prior to the pandemic, there was no conversations around therapy. Mm -hmm. There was no conversations around. And even outside of just suicidal ideations, just Mm -hmm. to your point, artists talking about mental health, Yeah. but to have like a Nick Cannon do my PSA and, or to have CeeLo on a, a Silence of Shame panel or David Banner or, you know, all these guys, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, hip-hop is showing up showing up and showing out and showing out mm-hmm. and so i was just so grateful you yes. know and carrie hilson you know who is one of my favorite r&b singers yes. you know she shared for the first time on a silence of panel about her depression right and what she had gone through and so i was like wow this is this is really something and this is what i have to continue like i can't walk away from this now mm-hmm. like i have to continue this mission right and yes. grow this organization and grow this nonprofit. and so it's been really humbling um i remember the first year that we got our 501c3 i was like we need some kind of big splash and so may is mental health awareness month yes it is i said i'm gonna make up my own day so I said, we're going to go out and make May 5th National Silence and Shame Day. So we created this little Instagram graphic. Okay. And I was like, let me see if I can get some people to post, you know. So I was asking, like, a bunch of folks from Big Boy, Candy Burris. I was like, Usher, will you tweet this? You know, this is all kind of <laughs> folks, my friends and colleagues. Right. We got 90 million impressions in one day. Get out. 90 million? not kidding. Everybody And this is why you're the promotional year. director. <laughs> Vice President Everybody slash brilliant mind of marketing that day. What actors in the black community, rappers, athletes? I was like, wait a minute. This is clearly a subject that is striking a chord. Yes, but nobody's really talking about it. And so we ended up applying to the National Day Register, and they gave us our day. Look at that! So National Silence Shame Day forever and ever and ever. I'm always taking shots that day anyway. Yeah. It is my sister's birthday. One of my sisters is May fifth. It is Cinco de Mayo, of course. You yes, know everybody's Mexican that day. So I tell people before you take your shots, you need to post about Silence and Shame. That part. <laughs> and now I'm going to include this yes. every year. Silence yeah. and Shame is part of the celebration. Yeah. And now we May also 5th. have an app coming out through uh, Microsoft. We have a Silence and Shame app that wow. will lead the community to resources. Talk to me how that happened. So one That's of our, amazing. Congratulations on that. Thank you so that. much. One of our board members, um, Darrell Booker, shout out to Darrell. Mm-hmm. He um, is one of the, the heads of philanthropy for okay. Microsoft. And so he does a lot of community-based work um, in their philanthropic space. And they have this thing where it's a, like a global hackathon where once a year they can choose three different um, subjects mm-hmm. to that that the staff want to like build something around. Yeah, that they want to hack, if you will. Yeah, and solve a problem. And so, this I think they said the number two topic was mental health. And so he was like, well, "I have this really cool organization. Y'all should check out." And so they chose us and awarded us. So for one week, all of their folks worked on a Silence of Shame app, and then Microsoft. Of course, it wasn't completed in a week, mm-hmm. but Microsoft made the commitment to finish it. And so now we're just about to go to market now with our app. 
And so we're feeding content to the black community. We don't do direct services, but we're going to have resources there, a lot of content, affirmations, different things, you know. Open up the conversation more Yeah, keep the conversation going. So I'm really excited about that partnership. So um, God is blessing us in a lot of ways. More importantly, just trying to help and heal the community. And hip hop is a big part of that, yes. right? Um, so many people in the community have supported Silence to Shame. And um, this is really cool. Um, Beyonce's dancers, Lay Twins. Yes. Uh, the ones that are from Paris, Silence to Shame. We're going to be doing a po- live podcast with them because they're doing a lot around mental health. So they're coming to Atlanta and we're going to be working with them. Um, when is that? That's coming up in October. Okay, so well, her tour must be stopping there in October. Well, yeah, what's well, coming in, we're doing a conversation in August and then yes. we're doing something else with them in October. So. I love them. So that's really exciting. Yes. And, you know, just partnering again with different groups and organizations. And we did a podcast episode, speaking of hip hop, with DJ Drama back mm, in May. And legend. he talked about, you know, um, his um, journey through getting sober mm. and being addicted. Um, to pills and, okay, and, and he shared that. that journey on our podcast. That's he important. Never really, he had never really talked about it before and felt like Silence of Shame was a safe space. And so, shout out to Drama and all that he's doing and um, just blessings on his journey. And we're so proud of him. Kudos to DJ Drama for opening up and kudos yes. to you for creating that safe space for him to open up. Thank and you, you created a safe space for someone else as well. Because I was looking at an interview. I, I've talked to Big Crit. I mean, yes. I've talked to um, Goody Mob um, mm-hmm. from Detroit. Um, oh, gosh. Royce the 5-9. Thank you. I've talked, okay. to, I've talked to Royce the 5-9 <laughs> nice. about everything that he's gone through in terms of addiction. I mean, oh, wow. it's been a real blessing to talk to a lot of folks in hip hop. Not read somewhere you you saved a woman's life. Oh, G life. Herbo, we talked to G Herbo. Okay, I love G Herbo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read somewhere though that you you saved a life, a woman's life in London, where she thought about committing um, suicide in London. I think she was about to like hop off a bridge, and she someone stopped her. It was like an angel, and she came across. So I don't know if it was London, but this one was lady told me that... Because um, I think she works with you, which are... Yeah, so she, she wasn't in London. Okay. But there was a lady, um, her name is Bree. Bree, okay. And so Bree um, met me some years ago, and she is a friend of a friend. And okay. she shared with me that she was thinking about jumping off the bridge. Okay. And right. one of my mentees showed her my video. There you go. And she said, "Where was she? Why did I go to get London from?" I don't, and I could be wrong, but I, I don't think it was in London. Okay. Um, but I do know that after she said she watched that video, right? She chose not to do it. Mm. And I gotta tell you, I get so many DMs or messages mm. like thanking us for our work or saying like, "My son went to therapy because of your programs," See or what I'm saying? "My daughter saw what you did," and so. I had the time of my life selling albums and making superstars, but this work right here, mm. actually saving a life is that we part. lose so many lives right now in the culture. Yeah. It's a blessing. This yeah. is where I'm supposed to be. I'm so And I have a wonderful staff too. Shout out to Talk my Silence to Shame staff. 
my executive director, Jewel Gooding, Tamir Wood, Megan Shorejoy Pringle, mm-hmm. um, Russell, uh, China, Nia. We have an incredible team. Free Division, who's my co-host of the podcast. Like, okay. And then all of our volunteers and board members. Like, We are we are a small but mighty team. Mighty. We are here doing God's work. Like you, work. you're small and mighty. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> we are here doing God's work. And I could not do any of this without them. Wow. Again, I'm in awe with you. Just knowing how you started, the people that you work with, the music that you help, you know, put out there and promote music saves all our lives. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. It still know, saves my life. That part. You so, down. D nice saved everybody due to the pandemic, him and you know, Swiss beats of them with, with the live shows that uh-huh. they did with verses. So that's kind of just always been, I feel, your journey, your testimony. You are put here, I feel, just by hearing you talk right now to affect us and touch us in a way where it is life-changing whether you was doing it with music and now you're doing it you know with your uh, philanthropy work and you know being an author as well you know talking about it yeah. the hip-hop professional make sure y'all get that thank you i was trying to get it and i was like okay let me just read a few excerpts right now but i'm gonna get the book because i'm gonna I need... send it to you please as soon as i get home I'm i want to support it though but no, it was it's just... okay i need to send you that okay i would well, love bless you that. With that yeah come on now with the blessings yes um and just to see what you're doing now with literally you know talking about mental health and saving someone from jumping off a bridge is commendable and amazing in itself so thank you for that now as we end this interview i like to do something that i call like my confessional hour what i just kind of like it's like a fire round thing well can we talk about the podcast though oh no i thought we right and it's funny because right before i was going to confessional hour it does say meepo podcast so let's talk more about that okay yes what talk so to now me about i actually so in addition to running my nonprofit, mm-hmm. i have my own personal podcast like you Yes. It's called the Mebo Show. Yes. And thank you for coming out to our first live recording in New York. I have so grateful to have you there. (laughs) So Mebo came about like a year ago. Um, two years ago I got my gallbladder removed and Mm. and then now I I, like I told you Auntie Shanti's fifty two, so I'm dealing with menopause, which is another taboo subject that sometimes we as women don't talk about. I love that you said that. People don't ever want to talk about Child, that. Listen, I got the, I got high flashes, but I got my little cute fans. So <laughs> you on. can be cute and still go through menopause. Uh, and bling, I'm, I'm about to bling out my little fan and be cute with it. Silence the shame. Okay. I love and that. So I'm dealing with, you know, different things around health, but I want to be around for another 50 years like hip hop, right? Okay. So I'm doing what I got to do from a health perspective. Overall health, right? Mental and physical. So am I for mine? B.O. for body. Mm -hmm. That's how I came up with Mebo. Um, And so decided to start this podcast and, you know, talk to some folks to to see if they would support me. And, you know, grateful that I've been able to interview Run from Run DMC. We Mm -hmm. had a mental health episode that's out. I interviewed Dougie Fresh. These are all legendary hip hop artists, right? For sure. Dougie Fresh and his partner, Dr. Williams. Um, has a hip hop public health nonprofit that's been around for 15 years. I'm like, who knew they're doing such incredible work around stroke prevention and different things like that. Um, And then talk to Eric Sermon about heart health. I talked to Charlemagne about mental health and then I'm about to interview MC light and yo, yo. Oh, come on now. Women's health. So season one is dedicated to hip hop 50. Love that. And we'll have about 10 episodes and most of them are recorded virtually. Excuse me. 
but we're going to do a few live conversations yes. and, you know, grateful to the folks over at Johnson and Johnson who care so much about health equity and they have been providing subject matter experts so that when we talk to the artists about their lived experiences, they're there to share resources mm-hmm. and, and all that that's going on in the community. So I am so excited. I feel like, you know, this is my baby. And this is, you know, um, something that's fun for me. It takes me also back into music. Um, it does, and it yeah. just helps me continue to live my best life mentally and physically. And so I'm hoping now that in addition to all the legwork and things we've been able to do around mental health, that we also make people in hip hop think about the choices we make mm-hmm. that affects our physical health. Because it all goes hand in hand. Health is health, right? And so what you eat... Um, you know, the things you put into your body, what you drink and, and being able to not eat so late and not eat as many carbs and, you know, focus on your heart health. And, and in the black community, we know diabetes and and heart disease and, and stroke. And my mother died from Alzheimer's. My sister had a, a blood clot that. that led to a stroke and passed mm-hmm. away. My brother has heart disease. And so, you know, I've had scares and right. I want to be here. You, you know, I want to go here. to more. I want to meet you at more Nas and Hennessy parties. That part. Be out. Drinking okay. Incredible Hulks and, and water. Out. <laughs> I want to come to Detroit and see what Detroit is like. Yes. I've never been to the, that's a whole nother story. I need to go see the Motown offices and museum. I've never seen that. You've never been to Detroit? I've, no, I've never been to, I've been to Detroit. I've okay. just never been to the museum. Because I read you did some amazing things in Detroit yeah, as well where you helped. Yeah. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. shout out to Detroit. Yeah. When I left, uh, Universal Motown, I read about how the city morgue was broke. Mm-hmm. Well, the state had lost their funding for a lot of stuff. Yeah. And I saw this thing on CNNMoney.com where, like, literally bodies were backed up. And the mo was so sad. They were backed up and stacked up. And I raised $30,000 and buried 30 people in Detroit. Strangers. Sitting and with I couldn't a real even life get, angel I couldn't right get here. anybody to call me back in wow. gov- city government. And I said... And God just placed it on my, he was like, don't worry. He said, you're not doing it for that. Because I tried to get the news and like, we got one person to cover it. And I said, you know what? You're right, Lord. It's not about getting the coverage. So I didn't go after any more press. I just let it go. We buried the 30 people, Mm -hmm. gave those families some dignity and peace. And I was like, God will do the rest. I don't need, whoever knows, it doesn't matter. He knows. Then the right people knows. And starting with God, like you said first. That's that all that matters. Yeah. So yeah. But I love the the Mebo podcast Thank and you. I love that you're focusing on mind and body because especially in hip hop, I just feel like I don't know and you would know more when it comes to like dealing with these labels and contracts. It's like it's healthcare even part of the No, artists don't have healthcare. That's crazy to me. Because we don't have unions and stuff like that. So no. When you get signed to a label, you know, there are some very lucrative deals happening. Um, but there's no healthcare involved, and there's no conversation around no it. And that, are the labels, and do the labels that? really care about your well-being in that in that sense? I mean, you know, I would say that the um, some of them may care, but in the grand scheme of things, I don't know. Do they really care? So it's important for people the like artists yourself need to band together and figure that out. They need yeah. y'all need healthcare artists. You need healthcare. We need healthcare. It's important, and it's important for you to have a podcast like that when you're promoting that because I feel like that can also change the way these deals are made 100%. and the things that's happening in these deals and these contracts and being like, yo, we are dying. We're rapping about drugs and things that are but affecting But if you got health care for your staff and employees, why, why wouldn't, wouldn't you have it for your artists? Healthcare? There you go. 
and it, I don't get that. And it hurt. It's hurtful because a lot of these artists are dying young, and the families aren't being taken care of. Mm-hmm. And I will being. say, you know, and I didn't know this much when I worked in the music industry, but um, Music Cares, which is the foundation arm heard of, that. of the Recording Academy and, mm-hmm. and the Grammys, um, when I was coming up, you know, I didn't feel like it was for everybody in the business because it wasn't marketed to us. But I know differently now. They do incredible work. Music Cares. Mm-hmm. I've done some volunteer work for them. They cover a lot of medical bills, mental health, medical bills, different things, you know, for artists and writers and creatives that can't afford it and that may not have access to to health Mm. insurance. So if you are, you know, artists in the music business, don't be afraid to reach out to Music Cares. Thank you for that too. Yeah, no doubt. I love that. Because sometimes we don't always know. We don't. What's going on for or what's there for us. Yes. Yeah. And it's starting with the conversation of just caring about it first. Mind, body, Mebo podcast. Make there sure y'all check it out. Thank you. So y'all go on. So <laughs> we on YouTube, Spotify, iHeartMedia, Apple, uh, everywhere where you can get your playlist. Please, you know, go on and subscribe and rate us. And shout out to Johnson and Johnson for yes. collaborating with yes. you. That's shout what I'm talking about. Sponsorship and the whole crew. Getting yes. to the back. Well, they, you know, they, they're providing right now more resources. But that's beautiful. Um, and, and we're so grateful. And, and, yeah. and then the, you know, the such subject matter experts. Yes. Um, so hopefully we can grow that, you know, and do a lot more. So that's the plan. I see great things. I'm yes. sure. From your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. So let's get to the confessional hour. Okay. Um, it usually wars one word answers, but I have a few here that's probably gonna have you elaborate a little further. Okay, than a one word. Okay. okay, do you have a favorite line in hip hop that you live by that you consider like your motto in life? If so, hmm. what is? It? I don't know if I have a favorite line. That's a great question. I just love when Jay Z, you know, is talking about it's a businessman. Because it really is a business. You know, sometimes we lose sight of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we get so caught up in the hype of it all that we don't always even negotiate the best opportunities for ourselves mm-hmm. and for our clients. So at the end of the day, don't lose sight that it is a business first. I'm a business man. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Since this is women in hip hop, give mm-hmm. me your top five favorite female rappers. Oh gosh. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Queen Latifah, <laughs> mm-hmm. MC Light. Okay. Yo, yo. And I'm old school. Um, Girl, you better not put a disclaimer out there with your list. This is your list. But I do like, Megan and Cardi. Really nice. Um, and I, you know, I, I got to give the younger generation their props. Um, but, oh, and, and Moni Love. I love Moni Love. Yes. Yeah. Moni in the middle. Okay. Oh, uh, you know who? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Lil' Kim. I mean. And, okay. And, and Foxy, <laughs> you look like you would I mean, be a Lil' Kim fan. Well, I used to rock out the Fox and Lil' Kim. Like, they, <laughs> they killed it in the 90s. Yes. So I know it's more than top five. I'm sorry. That's all right. I always <laughs> take a little more when it comes to the ladies yes. in the list. So. And Left Eye. What am I saying? Oh, my gosh. Top See? five. Top five. Rewind. <laughs> top 10. We got to top. That's going to be top 10. <laughs> I think I did that with Wendy Williams. She was like, I can't do a top five. Yeah. But top I do 10. a top 10. Yeah. <laughs> And I love that because it shows that, you know, the women matter in yeah, hip-hop. And we really made oh some, gosh. Yeah, they made some noise in the it industry. It made us feel good. It made me feel like as a woman working in hip-hop, I could do it. Mm, I know. That's right. So, yes. Um, who are you listening to now? Who am I listening to now? Um, Killer Mike. Ooh, ooh. The Michael album. Mm, I heard it's amazing. I'm going to get to it. It's so good. And I do, from a concert perspective, want to see the Drake 21 Savage show. So I hope I get to see that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 
This might be a little hard. Uh oh. Someone asked me this question. I was like, oh, let me ask her that question. <laughs> Speaker box or love below? Oh, I can't answer that. <laughs> <laughs> I plead the fifth. <laughs> As I knew you would. No, and I won't stress it. <laughs> I love them the same. <laughs> okay. Now, if you ask me one of the other albums, my favorite Outkast album in general is probably the first one, Southern Playlistic. Okay. Then AT Aliens, because that eight Elevators was fire. Yeah. But I mean, all their music is fire. But yeah. Uh, yeah, my brother, he put my biggest, my biggest, my oldest brother. Shout out to um, Greg. Mm-hmm. I always tease him like how he introduced me and my siblings uh-huh. to Outkast. Oh, nice. So when that did happen in 95, you know, Detroit, we're like a melting pot. Like we appreciate. And y'all always showed the A-love. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's Cause like. Jeezy be up there, you know, Jeezy and, you know. Gucci. Like, oh, like, yeah. They like honorary Detroiters. Yeah, in, exactly. a, in a sense. Exactly. So in Detroit, we really gravitated to the South because if you think about it, our ancestors are from Atlanta. Like, mm-hmm. my grandparents were from mm-hmm. Georgia. My mm-hmm. other side of my grandparents from Alabama. Oh, so wow. they, a lot of people from the South migrated to the North, you know, for jobs mm-hmm. and working at the big three plants, you know, yeah. Chrysler, GM, and, and Ford. Yeah. So that's how we ended up, essentially, a lot of us black folks in Detroit, in yeah. the Midwest. But our roots is the South. So, yeah, we I love, love Snoop and the West I Coast. And we that. love New York. But we didn't really see ourselves. I don't feel like it really resonated because we wasn't rocking Tim's and bubble coats. And <laughs> we wasn't rocking Chucks and Dicky yeah. outfits. Y'all but, fly. But when, yeah, you know, we was gated out. Mm-hmm. Players ball. Yeah, so yeah, when yeah, Out, this yeah. is what I'm trying to tell you why. Yes. Outcast is really yes. my favorite group because. I love that. And being introduced <clears throat> to them through Big Bro. It was like, oh, we see ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like just the the, the Cadillac. My dad drove Cadillacs uh, every year. He would upgrade his car, his Cadillac. Uh, yeah. Right? So it's like Detroit, you know, it was all about the Gators, the Furs, you know, just very <coughs> player, very exactly. popular collar, you know. I so love it. it's like, okay. So when it. he said the South got something to say, our Midwestern up north ass was like, yup. <laughs> we was, yes. So it was such a moment for us in Detroit to see Outkast win because we were fans. Yeah, of course. In the D's, so. Yeah, I can't answer that question. Though. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else I got here? <laughs> when it comes to the music career, because we talked about, you know, the work that you're doing now, do you have a, a moment in your music career that you feel like you're most proud of? Mm-hmm. If so, what would that be? <laughs> say i'm probably most proud of the work that i did with outcast okay it just still goes back to them because mm-hmm. you know outcast that project afforded me the ability to live out my dreams and i worked just as hard as they did yeah to open up doors for them and even it was one time um big boy did a congratulatory video for me for something i was being honored at, and he was like you know you were like third member of outcast because you were always with us you know oh. and so just knowing that I really was there, you know, mm-hmm. from the beginning to the end and all the way in between was just a complete honor. And I remember when they first went, <clears throat> excuse me, either gold or platinum. And this was in 1995. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't want to just throw them a party at the club like everybody does. Right. I was like, I want to do something different. So I rented a mansion in Decatur, Georgia, and through the Southern Playalistic Cookout. 1995, one of the most, as anybody from Atlanta, legendary cookout. And I say that humbly. 
but it put me on the map without me even doing it for that. I just wanted to do something nice for the guys, yeah. but it was huge. Yo MTV Raps was there, Rap City. Um, so in addition to Outkast and, and, and Goody Mob being on stage, we had uh, Biggie, we had Diddy, we had Busta Rhymes, we had Usher on one stage in 1995. It was mm. legendary. Mm. So, and then again, being with them in the Source Awards, I mean, that's just such a, Outkast is like the gift that keeps on giving to me. Like, so I'm grateful for that opportunity because it, I was just throughout so much of their career yeah. as opposed to, you know, from a hip hop perspective. Um, and then I want to also just shout out Ludacris. Um, who I love dearly. He's like a little brother to me. And shout out to Jeff and Shaka and Aisha, who are his management team. Mm-hmm. He's done such an amazing job. But I brought Ludacris to L.A. Reed at LaFace to try to sign him. And I was going to have my own production situation. And signing day, you know, L.A. just kind of didn't didn't really hear that one at the time. But I was one of the first people in Atlanta. And there was several of us. Obviously, I wasn't the only one. But several of us in Atlanta that wanted to sign him. But I was a a female trying to make it happen to Mm. sign Luda. And I saw him and his vision and his his demo and what he had been doing and, and, you know, just his ability. And he was a Chris Lover lover at at Hot 97 in Atlanta. Yep. So that was that. And then when I did come back home and walked away from the industry, I did get to work with Jeezy. Um, so shout out to Jeezy in 2015, I did some marketing and consulted with him and helped him with one of his albums at Def Jam. And then I worked on his, um, uh, foundation side and did Mm -hmm. some consulting for Street Dreams Foundation and worked with them for about two years. So was there an artist out the A that you, cause you saw yourself like, man, I would probably like to work with him or her. Well, I never got to work with T.I. Um, but I was there when my top five, my Co- former colleague Kawan Prather, who's also a dear friend, and KP signed him to Ghetto Vision. Mm-hmm. And Ti always tells this story; it's so funny. He was like, he came into the office and said something like, "I don't know if somebody asked him or if he told him like, like his kind of like um, nickname was the King." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "The King, you know, Outcast, the Kings of the A." And he tells this funny story that I said that back in the day, but I love him. I think he's so talented. We all felt that so way. So it would have been nice, you know, to work out <laughs> with T. I mean, to work rather with T.I. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's probably the only ones from the A that I didn't really get yeah. to to work with. So when it's all said and done with everything that you, you know, spoke about from your early days to the work that you're doing now, how does Shanti want to be remembered? You know, I just want to be remembered. um, Simply by she gave a damn. Mm. I genuinely care about people. I really do. I went balls to the wall for my artists, for my peers, for my friends, my colleagues, my family. I felt like I sacrificed a lot, though. Mm. Um, And I apologize to my family for not being there sometimes in the 90s and 2000s because I worked so much. And I remember it was, um, you know, losing my sister was hard. Yeah, and she would say to me like, um, "You know, I was making all that money, and I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll buy this. I'll send you that." She was like, "I just want your time." She would say that to you, and now she ain't here for me to give her that time. Mm-hmm. And so I worked really hard when I walked away from the industry to spend as much time with her as I could, not knowing that our days were numbered. Right. But I just want people to know that I am just a. Uh, 
regular old southern girl from the eighth i really care about people i don't like drama i don't i want to see people win when you win we win i just want us to love each other i just want us to stop this violence in the community i'm not blaming it on hip-hop it's just a lot of violence period i want us to respect one another I want women to feel like they can embrace their femininity and guys not be so disrespectful to them mm-hmm. and guys to think twice about calling us the B word every single time they open their mouth. Like some mm-hmm. people just, and I know it's a part of it and I'm not here to be the lyric police or the fashion police, but we got to get back to where we used to be a little bit as black folks. Mm-hmm. We got to love on each other more. We got too many senseless killings going on. And random violence. And I know it's systemic. I know it's bigger than us. But we also can do better, right? There is still an inherent responsibility as a people to take care of your own, just like the lions and the tigers and the bears do in their communities. Mm -hmm. They take care of their own in the wild. Okay, we might be in some wild times, but let's get back to taking care of our own. Let's help that sister get that promotion, right? Let's help, you know, that person get that interview or let's mentor that child or that person. Or when somebody calls you, give of your time in the words of my sister. It's not Mm -hmm. always about writing a check. Mm. We've got to give of our time and be there for one another because collectively this thing that we call hip hop, it's a billion dollar business. It's a billion dollar industry. But we got to recirculate those dollars and we got to recirculate the love and the support within the community too because it's not just always about the bottom line Mm. so that's what I want people to feel like I cared and I gave back in a way that I only knew how to do thank you that was so beautiful oh my god thank you so much for for saying that and thank you for all the sacrifices that you made to be here to give us the 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 work that you contributed you know and being able to do the work you're doing today and I know your sister and your mother, your father, you know, all are looking down on you Ooh, and you proud of you. Tissue, girl. Oh, <laughs> somewhere no, but I need you to know because I know that again, when we like I left at nineteen mm. to try to pursue my dreams and yeah. my mother is no longer here and mm. I just always wanted her to like live vicariously through what I was doing. Mm. But again, our people really do just want our time yeah you know but they knew we loved them Mm -hmm. you know that was even I could open up a little bit when it comes to like suicidal thoughts that was the first time I ever had thoughts Mm. of suicide is when she passed because I'm like I was only doing this to make you proud sometimes you can't imagine being having life without them I couldn't um, it was just it was so abrupt yeah you know I got a call your mom has breast cancer what was it six weeks later she's gone that oh, makes so no sorry. sense to me yeah. you know and yeah it's so I, I'm am in all of you and the work that you're doing with the Mebo podcast with the um, silence to shame because it allows people to have a community to speak to mm. you know mm. and for me thank god I have nine siblings yeah and a brother that's doing so well that I was like I need to be around because I was living by myself in Jersey and I was mm-hmm. like I need to be around love yeah and I need to be around a structure of something people doing because I was just out of it I, I was yeah. tapping out I and I never I couldn't fathom I never thought that I would have those thoughts mm-hmm. so um again kudos to you um thank you you're doing amazing work super proud thank of you, you. So thank much. you and again your family is in all of you well I am just like we are so grateful <laughs> and you have uh, a new 
mentor if you want somebody uh, even if you just if even if we don't talk but a couple times a year you want to call right. me and vent yes. or you need some support advice yeah. anything i can do jazzabelle which you know when i heard i was like jazzabelle she <laughs> must be an outcast fan ah! says <laughs> like that. yes i would absolutely be on this show <laughs> oh my god that's so, so funny yes, i am here for you <laughs> Jazzy, but, i get um, that all the time thank y'all for having me though <laughs> follow me on instagram yes. at shanti das 404 Please consider following my nonprofit, Silence of Shame, at Silence of Shame, and The Meebo Show. Check out The Meebo Show, y'all. It's good mm. at The Meebo, M-I-B-O Show. Thank you so much. And that is a wrap here, Woman in Hip Hop Podcast with Jazzy Bell and my beautiful, beautiful guest, Shati Daz. Make sure y'all go support her. Make sure y'all support the show at Woman in Hip Hop. And I'll see y'all next time. Deuces. <laughs> created a space where we can celebrate the unsung and the undervalued. A place where we focus on the many talents and influences for women within the culture in hopes to inspire women everywhere to overcome adversity in a male-dominated world. Welcome to Women in Hip Hop. What's up, y'all? This is Clint Coley, and I'm the host of the Music is a Love Language podcast. Now, check this out. If you're a fan of music podcasts, then be sure to check out and subscribe to Music is a Love Language podcast. We are a podcast that has honest conversations about music all day, every day. If you like to argue music, this is the podcast you want to be listened to. And it's brought to you exclusively by the Revolt Podcast Network, anchored in hip-hop and powered by creators. Again, Make sure you guys follow and subscribe. Music is a love language podcast. I'm Clint Coley. Hope to have your ear soon.